I'd search for knowledge I must learn the secret art Who dares to help me raise the one Whose very name seals my heart Asteroid! Discard your clothes and come on foot Through streams and fields and moonlit miles Your body's soaked in secret oils Join me in my search for power Wives and husbands, bring your kin We'll be as one within the hour Let the Sabbath now begin Come, come to the Sabbath Come to the Sabbath Satan's there Come, come, come to the Sabbath Come to the Sabbath Satan's there Come, come, come to the Sabbath Come to the Sabbath Satan's there Come, come, come to the Sabbath, come to the Sabbath, Satan's there. Come, come, come to the Sabbath, come to the Sabbath, Satan's there. Come, come, come to the Sabbath, come to the Sabbath, Satan's there. Come, come, come to the Sabbath, come to the Sabbath, Satan's there. Good evening and welcome to This Old Whore. 
Every week on This Old Whore, we hit the streets in search of a, uh, well, a professional who's seen better days. We take them back to my pad, knock back a couple pink ladies, maybe get a pedicure, and we just, we do some brainstorming and we try and figure out how we're going to rehabilitate a person who's down on their luck. Now, this week we grabbed Lucinda from out on the boulevard. She was partially frostbitten in one toe. Broken set of white pumps. Something gangrenous on her lower leg there. See the thighs are sort of congenitally pudgy, matted with long, dank strands of pubic hair. Her belly button's an Audi, which right there, I mean, <laughs> but uh, guts not too bad. Not too much of what we call the front, the frontal butt. She does look a little chewed up in the midriff section, though. A couple failed attempts at belly piercing. All right, getting up to the chest. It's certainly been used a time or two, but uh, has held up decently well. We've got one that's appreciably bigger than the other and has a what appears to be a tumor in it. But... Uh, Chest region's not uh, not bad. Shoulder blades, kind of a Joan Crawford quality to the uh, upper body. Of course, she needs grill work. I mean, that's pretty much a given on this old whore. Face has been chewed away by the advanced stages of syphilis. Yeah, it looks like she took an acid bath to the face at some point. face facts, I mean, even the most gothic makeup just can't cover some abuse. But you know, on this old whore, we take the attitude that if it's worth defaming, it's worth reclaiming. And that's just part of where we're at. So uh, the first thing I'm going to do is the full face dermal abrasion. Um, this is uh, kind of a blue mottled scar tissue uh, where the old face was. And this not only helps to, to recondition this old whore, but uh, kind of a cheaper version of the FBI. It gives her a whole new look. And uh, she can just replant that any place. I mean, people aren't necessarily looking for the uh, cysts and abrasions below the neck so much as they tend to focus on the upper grill work. So I think we've really done her a favor. And uh, I think if you use kind of a fine grain sandpaper near the end, you tend to leave a little more bone mass and uh, 
don't know what sort of loosely could be called skin. As far as the body goes, um, we're just going to have to completely amputate everything. And uh, I guess we'll just see you next week on this old horror. In the meantime, don't hurt yourself out there. Play it real, but for God's sakes, play it safe, huh? And if you see the This Old Whore Van bearing down on you, don't forget. If you're going to gamble with the street, don't forget about the meat. Stories and commentary from the local independent and underground press. This week, the writings, ramblings, and general punk rock nihilism of Blag Dahlia. Blag is an independent writer and columnist for The Wave and a member of the seminal punk rock band, The Dwarfs. He's also the self-described best-looking man in show business. It's our special, evil, mean-spirited punk rock Halloween issue of Invisible Ink. For the sensitive and virtuous listeners, you have been warned. But for all you others, stay tuned. How to Write Good. Volume 1. Live Hard and Write Fast. The purpose of this column is to help you to be a better writer. For those of you who aren't good writers, just do as I have wrote, and soon your writing will be very good like mine also is. Of course, it takes more than a few handy hints to make a top-drawer wordsmith. It takes ingenuity, a little bit of soul, and in my case, it takes a lot of cocaine. Some critics poo-poo the creative effects of recreational drug use, claiming that alcohol is the true he-man elixir guaranteed to unlock your tortured subconscious and extract that brilliant, towering, poignant, riveting masterpiece hidden therein. As proof they point to Hemingway, Faulkner, even Joe Bob Briggs. The stereotype of the rumpled phrase jockey hunched over an ancient typewriter, pounding out hard-bitten prose with a highball in both hands and tobacco curling from a pipe in the ashtray, has such resonance in the collective imagination that we sometimes forget the great drug addicts of literary history, those who dared to beat their brains into submission and let the keys fall where they may. Sigmund Freud, inventor of the penis, vagina, and several other important things, used cocaine regularly. By regularly, I mean that he got really high, thought about sex, and then wrote a bunch of gibberish. Coleridge wrote the epic poem Kubla Khan while under the influence of opium. Even in his most fevered dreams, could he have known that it would one day inspire a Star Trek movie? Prescription drugs were the vice of Jackie Suzanne, who took us beyond the Valley of the Dolls and into a world where pleasure and pain mixed metaphors like a bull in a teacup. The list goes on, but I can't remember the rest of it. And even if I could, who am I to question the tortured ramblings of Conan Doyle or Hunter Thompson? Ponzi fop Truman Capote and notorious pimp Iceberg Slim both scored dope off of basketball diarist Jim Carroll. 
And if Tom Wolfe wasn't high, then he really should have been, if only as an excuse for the electric Kool-Aid acid test. So if you really want to be a great writer, my advice is to put that drink down and visit your local crack house right away. Next month, we'll discuss homonyms, gerund phrases, and how to keep your participles from dangling. Until then, you'll have to excuse me. I need to powder my nose. The opinions expressed in Black's commentaries do not necessarily reflect those of Invisible Ink, KLW, The Wave, or really anyone uh, normal. I got a forwarded email from Blag a few weeks ago that caught my attention because it reminded me of the awkward emails I send to all the would-be Invisible Ink contributors, but I've never quite gotten this response. Here's Blag Dahlia with the story. I play in a punk band, and uh, recently we were asked by a, uh, a little independent film company if we would put some music in their uh, snowboard video and they sent us a letter that went something like this hey dwarves we produce high-end snowboard skateboard films out of Whistler Canada and are putting together our soundtrack for our upcoming film the main event as huge fans of the dwarves we thought we would ask if we could have permission to use the track everybody's girl unfortunately the skate snow video market isn't very lucrative however we can offer the band great exposure in our scene. If there is any way you might be able to help us with this, please let us know. There is no fee. We are just looking for music we're stoked on and bands that will let us use it free of charge for the exposure. We have no licensing budget, but credit all bands on screen during the film. Rick Johnston, director. And so, you know, you hate to say no to anybody, but it just doesn't seem fair that, you know, people get a song for nothing so we sent him back this letter dear Rick we the dwarves have decided to grant the necessary permission for inclusion in your film because you are offering no money payment must be extracted in some form and that form will be through the medium of abuse for starters Rick we hate skateboards Let's face it, people who ride skateboards are just jocks with wheels. Secondly, we hate people that don't pay us money for things. When your dad comes home from a hard day at the office to subsidize your carefree lifestyle, do you think that he receives nothing but the hearty good wishes of his boss? Do you believe that your mom is not subjected to a sort of ritual abuse simply because she doesn't like you? Do you plan upon donating your film to hungry orphans in Rwanda or to inner-city skateboard-deprived children here at home? No, you'll sell it for a profit and buy things for your girlfriend, who, incidentally, Rick, is sleeping with all of your friends. Finally, there's the issue of Canada. The dwarves have not abandoned the notion of 4440 or fight and someday we will recapture the rest of our continent from the British. On that point, you can rest assured. All right, Ricky, I suppose that's enough. So, Blag, in the show, we're going to feature a reading from your second novel, Nina. Can you tell us a little bit about it? It's a book about a, a really naughty young girl. And, you know, really naughty young girls are something that I like. <laughs> She is very uh, in control. Uh, she's nobody's patsy. 
and uh, her parents die tragically, unexpectedly early, so she's sort of left as a emancipated minor running around having her way with people and sometimes people think they're going to get over on her but you don't get over on Nina she's getting over on you so it's a cool story and I think it kind of turns around the dynamic I usually have I wanted to do something where women were celebrated and and yet everything was really nasty anyway right (laughs) where they could be as nasty as 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 I like to be when you write in that voice of Nina you you definitely there's a harsh There's a harshness to her view of the world. Kids are very harsh. They're nowhere near as candy-coated as people put them out because they're they're still, they haven't completely grown out of the totally self-centered view that you're supposed to shed when you get older. Kids are pretty harsh. They're pretty on it. They pretty much lay it out there how they're feeling it. And, you know, it's easy to hurt them. And we see a lot of examples in literature of them being hurt and the ramifications of it. But I'm not really, uh, I'm too superficial for that. So I went for the youth hurting other people. You know, that was, that was. uh... (laughs) Nina decided to go to San Francisco. She had heard that it was interesting, but after walking up and down the ancient ruins of Haight Street twice now, she wasn't so sure. It had been the most tedious 20 minutes she'd spent since her parents' memorial service in Laramie, Wyoming. Excuse me, would you like to sign this petition to stop the devastation of our national parklands? Nina surveyed the object in front of her. Tall, muscular, earnest, good teeth, kind of a hippie, but he'd have to do. She remembered hearing someone say once that politics makes strange bedfellows, so she smoothed her hair over one ear, ran her tongue over her lips quickly, and looked him full in the face. I think I would like that. Jeremy Cobb didn't wake that morning, thinking that he would be treated to lunch and a long soak in the jacuzzi at the Weston St. Francis before enjoying sex on clean white sheets with an obscenely high thread count, but neither did he feel undeserving of such treatment. After all, a few redwoods were still standing, and that was in some small way due to the efforts of people like him. This was probably just Mother Earth and one of her many guises thanking him for making the world a better place. Jeremy's cellular phone rang twice, but he made no move to answer it. Is that your girlfriend? asked Nina, reaching over him quickly and answering the phone before he could reply. Hello? No, you have the right number. This is Nina. I'm supervising Jeremy today, and he asked me to mind his phone while he canvasses door to door. Jeremy's heart fluttered, while Nina sat listening and absently stroking herself. She suddenly felt that Jeremy's girlfriend might be very interesting, or at the very least more interesting than Jeremy. Someone less interesting than Jeremy was inconceivable. I'll be sure and give him the message, Nadine. He's been working awfully hard today. Well, would you like to meet us for dinner later? It really would be my pleasure. It's no trouble at all, really. Uh Uh-huh. Markin and Powell at 7.30 is perfect. We'll see you then. Jeremy was not happy with this new development. Nadine was pretty open-minded when it came to issues of global trade or the ozone layer, but she could be downright old-fashioned when it came to stuff like this. And as hot as Nina was, she was also more than a little bit creepy. He'd noticed too late that her shoes were made from dead cow, and her coat once hunted the dusty African savanna for antelope. Uh, I'd better take off now. Nonsense, Jeremy. We have a dinner date with your Nadine. She sounds like a fascinating person. Nadine Reynolds was full, round, and healthy, the type of girl for whom the phrase childbearing hips was coined. She dressed much like Jeremy, but her blue jeans were clean, and her shirt had been ironed, and her hair was tied back in a loose ponytail that smelled faintly of vanilla extract. 
A believer by nature, she had faith in the transformative power of grassroots activism, Chinese astrology, and Jeremy's very average guitar playing, among other things. She could also make short work of a good meal if the opportunity presented itself. Have another glass of wine, Nadine. It's organic. Nadine didn't need to be asked again. She made short work of her tortellini and a shiitake mushroom sauce, downing two glasses of white wine in the process, and she felt good. Nina was aloof, but nice enough. Jeremy seemed preoccupied as usual, but tonight she wasn't having it. Tonight the Redwoods would just have to fend for themselves, because Nadine wanted to have a little fun for a change. Nina, you seem like the type of person that enjoys a good poem. Jeremy felt his heart sink. He was afraid that this was going to happen. Every time Nadine got drunk, she and her art school friends went through the same atavistic collegiate ritual. First they would bore him to tears with some sort of performance. He refused to call it art. A poem, a story. If they were feeling expansive, maybe a pantomime or two. Then they would all drink themselves silly and start frowning at him, only to end the evening in a hail of existential angst or armchair radical political discourse. He didn't care which. Nadine would ignore him until his sulking made her uncomfortable, and they staggered home, not speaking. There's a reading tonight at sufficient grounds, and afterwards we're going to sit on the roof with a few of my friends. There's some really great people that hang out there. Jeremy hates it, but it seems like it might be your kind of thing. The Sufficient Grounds Coffee House nestled in the first floor of an imposing Victorian in a nondescript area of San Francisco. The neighborhood had been largely African-American and Latino-American until the gentle art of real estate speculation had rendered it uninhabitable to those whose contract with America had expired. What have you got, asked Nina, hoping to infuriate the tattooed, pierced, and bedreadlocked hermaphrodite behind the counter. By way of answer, it gestured to a sign on the wall, a painstakingly crafted Mocha Magna Carta written in colored chalk, featuring every conceivable beverage containing coffee beans. Nina enjoyed her cup as much as the next person, provided the next person wasn't an Alcoholics Anonymous or a Teamster, but for some reason the modern bohemian atmosphere of this place had set her teeth on edge from the moment she had walked in. I'll have a triple latte formoso with a hint of anisette, whipped cream, and a sprinkle of cinnamon. Then I want you to pour it down your shirt and start crying big wet crocodile tears, you fat tart, she thought, as she asked for a regular no cream, no sugar. On the small wooden stage at the back of the dining area, a young man with an earnest expression and an acoustic guitar prepared to entertain the small crowd who had come to participate in what was commonly known as open mic night. This was a weekly event where would-be performers were given the chance to strut their stuff before a real, live, non-paying audience. Although the talent wasn't generally of a very high caliber, everyone present was either white, in college, or both, so one's chances of getting booed off stage and pelted with rotten fruit however deserving one might be of such treatment, were very low indeed. Unless, of course, you read excerpts from an erotic short story featuring Adolf Hitler assaulting Sylvia Plath. The young man swiped at his guitar and it responded with a chord that could only be described as unpleasant. The voice that issued from his reefer-coated throat was no better. The song meandered tunelessly and Nina began to get frustrated. As she listened further and took in more of her surroundings, she got more frustrated and then still more frustrated until she walked up to where a massive lump of woman sat with a clipboard by the side of the stage. How much longer does this go on, Nina asked, in a voice that suggested she'd rather that it didn't. The woman pushed the clipboard and a pen toward her. If you can do better, you're welcome to try, she said, in a voice that suggested she'd rather Nina didn't. Nina looked at the clipboard, then at the stage, at Jeremy and Nadine and their friends, and finally back at the enormous object who sat before her. 
She wrote down the name Melody Frobisher and returned to her seat. With growing bemusement, she sat through an indignant recitation on Nicaragua and one on Kurdistan, then through a juggler and a knife swallower and a woman who could imitate over three dozen bird calls. She heard two lesbians duet on a Tracy Chapman song and witnessed a man miming the death of the rainforest, and then it was her turn. She walked to the stage in her high heels and surveyed the crowd. To say that they were unattractive was to put it mildly. Although she knew it was unfair, Nina blamed higher education for this whole sorry scene. If this were indeed the future seated before her, then maybe we should just give up now and invite the North Koreans to take whatever they wanted before it was too late. My name is Melody Frobisher, she began, and quizzical looks ricocheted around Jeremy and Nadine's table. Their attention was now full and undivided and aimed toward the tiny stage, and I'd like to read a poem for you. Nina had neither read nor written a poem before in her entire life, but she didn't think it would be very hard, and there seemed to be no time like the present to attempt it. She cleared her throat and looked out at the crowd again. Then she looked directly at Jeremy and ran her tongue over her lips. The giant redwood, she began. I hunger briefly for your hippie trip, your beggar's banquet. Stranded in a Berkeley of the soul, you asking change receive erection, elation. Mother Earth waits patiently at home, feeding. Ungainly, like five pounds of sunflowers in a three-pound balloon. The scent of patchouli and brown pot, corduroys stiff with echo-friendly detergent, your middle button missing, underwear a musty gray stain beneath. A chance encounter I'll always regret. No sunshine penetrates the dullness of your rainforest mine. Like dead geese in a fern bar, primordial, retarded. In stinking tie-dye you rise from my mattress undeserving. Mother Earth calls to check up on you while you lie like moss on the planet's floor. I, who tasted blandly of your wrinkled cranium, bought you dinner, I, who you just met this afternoon. At no time during the whole recitation did her eyes leave Jeremy's. Even when Nadine hauled off and smacked him hard right in the nose ring, blood spiking the tepid chamomile tea that sat untouched in front of him. Jeremy hated violence. There had to be a better way. Nadine, however, was prepared to inflict enough damage on him to make up for Jeremy's daily mood swings, his knack for peeing on the floor in front of the toilet, the three months of free rent that he had promised to repay just as soon as he could, and the thirty-some-odd macrobiotic dinners she'd cooked for him since they'd been living together, which now felt like forever. Since fights, except those of the intellectual variety or concerning the guilt or innocence of this or that Maoist revolutionary, were very uncommon at sufficient grounds, there was no bouncer to save Jeremy from his better two-thirds. Nadine hit him yet again as he slumped in his chair, sending the table clattering to the floor in a jumble of glass, liquid, and gluten-free snacks. Jeremy tried as best he could to shield his head from the surprisingly hardy Birkenstock sandals that seemed to assault him from every direction at once. Nina left the stage unnoticed and strolled out the door, nicking a stray macaroon from under a plastic case on the bar in the confusion, inhaling a cab in the gray rain outside. Where to, miss? asked Mujabir, a recent immigrant from Pakistan whose broad smile showed a mouthful of cracked and rotten teeth. His radio was tuned to a foreign language station, and the cab smelled of incense, cigarettes, and wet dog. She looked at the picture of her driver on his hacks license and noted the wrinkles by his eyes that made him appear to be laughing and sobbing at the same time. Two roads diverged in a yellow wood, thought Nina, and settled back in her seat.
vegetarian. comes to brewing beer, there is a difference of opinion that really matters. You see, some brewers believe in making two kinds of beer. One beer for the tap. And a different beer for bottles. And cans. But, but not, not Milwaukee's, Milwaukee's favorite, Blatt's. 
Blatt's makes just one great draft brewed beer. Some goes into Blatt's kegs for the tap, and the same great draft brewed beer goes into Blatt's bottles and cans. That way, you always get real draft brewed pleasure from bottle, can, or tap. I'm from Milwaukee, and I ought to know. It's draft brewed Blatt's beer wherever you go. Smoother, fresher. Less filling, that's clear. Blatt's is Milwaukee's finest beer. Milwaukee's favorite, too.